It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Seriously, who can applause? Everybody have a good night. Good night. <laughs> I mean, applause. Applause. For getting through this year. We are almost through this year. Almost. We, we do. Everybody deserves a round of applause. Nine days mm. left. What a year it's been. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started. Okay. Thanks. Okay. I know that's, better. That's, that's a whole other I episode. know better than to get you started. <laughs> yeah, don't. Once you get started. Oh, definitely, we can always use a little song and dance. Um, how's it going? Well, you know, it's been a little, it's been stressful. There's been some anxiety. There's been some stress. I've had a little more than most, but everyone's had a lot. Um, and yes, it's been at times so bad that I've needed to, you know, resort to Out of drugs. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's, <laughs> what do you mean at times? Not often. There's been times when you haven't <clears throat> resorted to drugs. Well, my, my fave is Adderman, but most people opt for uh, Xanax. I've never taken either. Really? No. Mm. It's, Cup, take a gummy every now and then. You know, that's, well, you know, that's, well, that's, uh, when that doesn't work, when CBD doesn't work, I have to bring the big guns in. My good friends, Addicts and Adavan. <laughs> Which are right by your, right by the bedside. They're on my person at all yes. times. Are they now? They sort of, yes, they are. Um, so that's... I think considering all that you've gone through, you've, you've, you've dealt with it very well and you haven't really overtaken any no. of those. No, sparingly. But it's funny that you only tell me that you've taken it after you've taken it. Because I don't want to worry you. But it, I don't want you to feel like I'm, you know, a basket case, which I've been. So you think that telling me after you take it doesn't make me feel like you're a basket case? Well, I don't know. I want you to less, feel like... Uh, or is it something that... No, I could that, tell you. I could be honest. Of course. No, I know. I know. I could. Starting I, now. Okay, I know. We're six years in to our marriage. Uh, Honesty is a really good policy. Yeah, and it actually is... It's, it's great um, medication. Honesty. Yes, because right. because you can unload and release and let go, and you know it's kind of like Xanax. It's sort of it but makes it you feel really better. But it doesn't replace the Xanax. Well, no, but it, it for me to be able to for us to be able to be honest and say we're nervous, we're fearful, we're afraid, we're st you know. Yes. It helps. Okay. It, it that you don't have to carry it by yourself. You don't have to carry that load. No, you don't. So I'm here to help you with that load. Speaking of anxiety, yes, because um, you know I'd like to bring it full circle back to the show. Oh, really? There's a show. There's a show going Wait. on right now. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, people suffer with dating anxiety. Okay. Not that you would ever know, because you're like a superstar dater, no problemo. Yes, I am, aren't I? But for those of us no, that... I don't know what that means. I am, I am not a... Yes. You've never 
Okay, are you going to tell me you never got nervous before a date? That you were never somewhat like unsure or lacking in confidence when you were dating someone or I don't know. Did it ever disrupt you? Well, didn't we have this conversation one time when We've had this... people get nervous before a guy gets nervous before a date? It's yeah, and you know you start having you know, and then uh, so you, you like rub one out before the the date, and that, that alleviates your nerves, oh, right? That uh, was not a conversation we had recently. Pre nut, uh, post nut clarity. That's what post nut clarity. Post nut okay, clarity. So, that means when you rub one out before you go on a date, so that you're relaxed, or you rub one out before you have to make a decision. Or you rub right? one out so if you think you're going to get lucky, you have a little bit more sustainability. Okay, but that's not what this show is about. That's another uh, that's another show called Post Nut Clarity and why we need it. No, I I'm listen. I know of which I speak always. Tell me because I had a lot of anxiety when I was dating when I was single. It's a very anxious experience. There's so much. There's, there's, you know, there's um, performance anxiety and there's doubt and there's um, fear of rejection and there's attachment stuff going on and um, the fear of, oh my gosh, what if this isn't reciprocated, uh, unrequ- or unrequited rather. And you also have control you know? issues. Oh, it pushes all those buttons, right? Yes. We experienced that on our first date. So, yes. Uh, so I'm, I, I I understand that, and I've been I've been nervous at times for dates. I am pretty sure somewhere back there. Really? Yeah, Mr. Confidence. No, it's it's I, I, I think it's happened. I can't remember. Oh, I have. But particularly, well, not all the time, but wow, there was a period of years in my late forties when things weren't you know kind of happening, and. I was starting to really doubt my game. I was thinking, I've lost my touch. Hmm. I I'm just can't get anything going. And then because of the repeated disappointments, it started to sort of like like you know a athlete on a losing streak. You know, it gets in your head, mm-hmm. and then and then it really starts fucking with oh, you, yeah. because then you start thinking, the I'm a loser. Um, I can't get anything going, mm-hmm. and then it tripped me up for the next one. And then this is, you know, how it sort of snowballs. But, then, but it doesn't have to. So we're, but, that's what we're going to talk about then today. then you come out of it, the other side. You, 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 yeah, but not that easy. You, you know, there's, yeah, well, the yes. Pattern, maybe you recognize a pattern of men that you were dating that caused that also. Well, there was that too. And that can create a, 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 a continued pattern it's difficult to break. Yes. A comfort zone, if you will. That. Well, there, there's no coincidences. Like you tend, it's all, it's all kind of woven together. You know, your choices reflect how you feel, reflect your self-worth, which reflect your, who you attract. All okay. Right, so, so anyway, we're going to, we're going to go into this. Um, who's, who's our guest today? Chris Ratcliffe. Chris Ratcliffe. I found him. I read a blog of his that was that resonated so much with me because I saw so much of myself in it, and I just I had to have him on the show. So I'm going to tell you about Chris Ratcliffe, okay? okay? He's a personal development writer and coach whose ability to paint with words has touched the lives of millions of people around the world. 
Ratcliffe shares stories that cut straight to the heart, detailing his own heartfelt and harrowing experiences to help others lead happier, healthier, and more fulfilling lives. In his books and blogs, keynotes, and coaching sessions, Ratcliffe blends principles of psychology, philosophy, physics, and spirituality with his signature storytelling aimed to make you feel and heal. His new book, It's Good to See Me Again, How to Find Your Way When You Feel Lost, a guidebook on the journey to emotional healing is available on Amazon now. Chris Ratcliffe, welcome to Done Being Single. Come on in, Chris. Hello there. Thanks for having me. So welcome and glad to have you here. Thanks for coming. I'm very grateful. You, you were... And I'm glad to hear that the blog resonated with you. Oh boy, did it. I mean, it did. It spoke to me. So yeah. I, I couldn't stop myself. I had to reach out to you. I, I really appreciate it. it. It meant a lot to me. I, you know, I try to write all of my material from a very personal place, right? And for those who haven't seen the blog, it's called Nine Ways to Ease Anxiety While Dating. And it's all about having an anxious attachment style. And, you know, for me, finding out that I have an anxious attachment style several years ago was a game changer. And I do think I'm still surprised by how many people aren't aware of attachment theory and sort of what it means and the implications that it can have for your dating life. You know, you were talking about um, sort of this concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where you sort of start out with um, attachment style has roots in your childhood and your upbringing, right? And mm. so, you know, you do carry some of that baggage with you wherever you go. And then after a certain period, once it's triggered enough and that that idea that I'm always going to get left or someone's going to leave me or that fear of abandonment, um, it, it gets reinforced again and again and again and again and again to the point where you then really start to believe it even more. It becomes reinforced. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, even just recognizing that their anxiety is normal and that it's a, a part of having this approach to forming attachments and bonds with other people is incredibly normalizing and healing. Okay, so for those that are not, and by the way, I agree, when I learned about attachment theory, I, it blew my mind. It answered so many things. It made so much sense. It, it really made me feel like, and, and you had um, said this as much in your blog about, um, it made me feel heard that it wasn't just me. Oh my God, this is, this is a theory. This is, this is something that is sort of a part of the human condition. Who knew? So um, let's talk about attachment theory for those who don't, aren't familiar with it, because I know there's three styles and go ahead, tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So let me take a step back. Before we get to the styles, let's talk about uh, the, the roots of attachment theory. So in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth were two major researchers in this area. And they conducted a series of experiments called the Strange Situation Test which I'm not gonna get into super detail about it, but it basically placed infants in a situation where they were separated from their caregivers. And what they noticed is that there were specific styles of 
uh, behavior that emerged for certain individuals. And so they were able to sort of map that and over time create attachment styles. So there are three primary attachment styles. Um, there are different ways to sort of look at attachment too. Um, that being said, it's really a spectrum of insecure to secure attachment. Secure is one of the styles. Um, it's also one of the ends of the spectrum. It's as it sounds, you know, folks with a secure attachment style are very warm and loving and have no qualms or concerns uh, or insecurities when it comes to really connecting deeply with another person. They don't think that much about it. They're not that preoccupied or anxious when it comes to, you know, being curious if the other person thinks that they're worthy of, you know, their love and affection. Um, and so secure folks tend to have, you know, a relatively easier and more straightforward uh, approach when it comes to connecting with other folks. On the other end of the spectrum, on the insecure side, there are two styles. So one is avoidant. Uh, avoidant or fearful attachment style is uh, characteristics of folks who tend to have a high need for independence and space. They become uncomfortable when they reach a certain amount of intimacy. Um, they tend to exhibit what's called um, deactivating strategies in order to maintain a certain level of intimacy that they're comfortable with. Um, you can see folks disengage or become a little quiet sometimes. And part of that's normal, right? We all do that in our relationships because we can't be present for everyone all the time. But when it reaches a certain level, and, and that's a really core need for an individual, that tends to indicate that they have an avoidant attachment style. They tend to avoid a certain amount of intimacy. And the final one is anxious or preoccupied attachment. As it sounds, these folks tend to experience a lot of deep-rooted anxiety, concern, doubt when it comes to their relationships. And I should make note that these attachment styles tend to come out most in romantic relationships. They can come out in personal relationships, of course, professional ones as well, but it's really in our romantic relationships when we're letting people in super close that we feel that vulnerability and where we're really building that, uh, that intimacy that can feel very risky um, to our personal well-being. And you know the idea that you talked about, unrequited love. That's sort of a core tenet uh, or belief of the anxious attachment style is I will always get left. There's a deep-seated fear of abandonment. Uh, whereas the sort of operating belief of an avoidant attachment style is someone's trying to take away my independence. You know, mm. Whereas the secure attachment style tends to operate from a place of I am inherently worthy of love and affection. I know that I belong here. And wherever I go, I have a, a safe space, you know, to operate from. And so those are the three main attachment styles. There is a fourth, um, which is called deorganized or avoidant, uh, anxious avoidant. It's a combination of both. Um, and it's called disorganized because sometimes the individual avoids intimacy and the other times they really crave that closeness that is core to an anxious attachment style. Um, for me, 
learning about these styles and, and on my own healing journey to become more secure, I really found a lot of solace in recognizing that my needs didn't make me needy. And I think for a lot of people, when you have an anxious attachment style, there's a lot of shame associated with, wow, I, I do need a lot of reassurance and I, I do crave a lot of closeness and I do need a lot of affection. And our culture tends to reinforce the idea that we should be completely self-sufficient. We shouldn't rely on anybody else. That's codependency and that's not healthy. The reality is relationships are one of the key and most fulfilling parts of our lives. And so when you tell someone with an anxious attachment style, well, don't take it so personally, or it's not that big of a deal. To them, it feels like a crisis. It feels like they're going to be left. It triggers very early memories of, you know, potentially not getting the affection that they wanted from a, a caregiver. And so it can be deeply invalidating and very hurtful. Um, but that being said, you can really do a lot of work to become more secure. And so that's sort of what the blog offers for folks. Which it that was idea great. That you can self-soothe. Yeah, it was very comprehensive. It was really great. I'm curious, once we identify our style and we determine who we are and why we are the way we are, okay, which is a great, which is a huge step, how do we stop ourselves from repeating the dynamic when we were young? How do we stop ourselves from attracting or magnetizing to us that dynamic that we had when we were kids? how love was shown, modeled, how do we get a yeah, grip I think on it? That awareness is really the first step, right? Knowing that this is a part of a function or a dynamic of behavior that originates somewhere in the past. And I'm repeating this dynamic in the hopes of trying to come up with a, a different, happier ending. And it rarely is the case that you're able to heal that way by trying to act out that same energy dynamic between individuals. And one thing I should mention is that, and I do talk about this in the blog, is that avoidant and anxious attachment styles tend to be drawn to one another. They're magnetized by one another. And so a lot of times folks who are avoidant and who are anxious end up in relationships that are very toxic for them um, and reinforce the core beliefs that are central to having an anxious or an avoidant attachment style. This person wants to take away my autonomy or this person's going to leave me. The more the anxious person tries to reinstitute or reinstate that closeness, the more the avoidant person pulls away. And it's sort mm -hmm. of this vicious mm -hmm. cycle. It's called the anxious avoidant trap. Right, I can see that happening. It's part of that awareness, knowing that this is a dynamic that we repeat a lot. And we, I, I'm speaking for folks with an anxious attachment style, tend to repeat a lot. And so that awareness is so very important because once you recognize these, these needs, one, don't make me needy, They're, they just, mean that I have different needs from another individual. They're not good or bad, they're just different. That is so affirming. And so knowing your needs, understanding your needs, what you need from a partner in a relationship 
is the most powerful step that you can take because it tells you, you know what, if this person, whether or not they have an avoidant attachment style or a secure attachment style or an anxious attachment style, if they're not willing to compromise with me and potentially meet these needs, then they're not the right person for me. And so I think that recognition is very powerful because a lot of times someone with an anxious attachment style tends to project their power. They become codependent and very reliant on their partners. They are very um, over-identified with their relationships. And so they can tend to lose themselves within the dynamic of a relationship. And when that happens, then, you know, it can be very, very damaging at a soul level for an individual. It's so interesting, Chris, because if I was an anxious person, would I be attracted to an anxious person necessarily? Or is that a relationship that would be successful? Or if I was uh, avoidant, would I be attracted to somebody else who was avoidant? And are, have you, in your studies, have you found that anxious and secure are more compatible or avoidant and, uh, you know, secure, avoidant and anxious? Is there a compatibility thing there? The research is clear in in this area. So folks with an insecure attachment style, whether disorganized, anxious, or avoidant, should date someone with a secure attachment style. Now, that being said, it depends on the individual, right? And marking someone with a particular label, it doesn't mean that they're not capable of connection with you. And so I think it's important to keep in mind that if someone has an avoidant attachment style and you are someone who has a lot of anxiety in your relationships, then the likelihood that you're going to be able to get the connection that you're looking for and that closeness is lower than it would be with someone secure. Does that make it impossible? No, not at all. And so I wouldn't entirely rule it out, but that awareness is so important because then once you know that someone has an avoidant attachment style, you can make an informed decision for yourself and say, you know what, is this really the kind of partner that I'm looking for? Am I comfortable in this dynamic? Right, but the flip side is if you're that secure person that that person's attracted to, that may you may not be attracted to somebody who's anxious. And so it may work for the one person, but not the other. So. I'm trying to figure out how, how does this compatibility work? Yeah, I think I, I like to think of it almost as another different framework through which to approach my relationships. Just like the five love languages is another way to interpret what your needs are in a relationship. You know, and I think I haven't seen any research um, or anyone sort of talk about this, but you could probably map certain love languages to certain attachment styles, sure. right? But <clears throat> sure. that being said, it's just another way to understand what your core needs are in a relationship. And so, you know, there's inherently overlap no matter what attachment style you might have. It's just a style of relating to another individual. It doesn't mean that in all situations you're avoidant or in all situations you're anxious. And I do think, you know, that for a secure person, they're not as preoccupied as what their insecure counterparts might be. And so they can really offer a very safe, secure healing space yeah. for folks with a more insecure style. I think this is where honesty comes in, being the best drug of all, because to be able 
to feel comfortable enough to be honest with what your, your needs are, you know, is is major. And to do it, and I remember getting to know, so I don't, I think you know a little bit about our story. We got married really late, first time, marriage first timers in our 50s. One right. could say, before I, I knew about attachment theory, I, I used to think, why is he single for so long? You know, had I known about attachment theory, I might have deduced that he is a, an avoidant because he managed to avoid marriage for 56 years. I was fortunate and lucky. And oh, stop I don't know. It. I think that worked out. But me too, you know. I managed, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little of all three types. I think there's, I'm not just, I think I'm a, just a, because, you know, listen, you don't get married at 50-something without f- having a, I don't know if it's avoidant or just a, a really strong sense of, like, independence. And it's not, it's not a path, it's not pathology independent. I mean, it wasn't like I'm, there's a pathology for me that I just really needed my space. And no, I actually wanted to connect very badly. It just was a matter of. Sometimes it's not pathology. Maybe it's just timing. Maybe there's nothing wrong. Definitely. So, but I remember thinking, what's wrong with this guy? How is he still single at 56 years old? What the hell? And I would ask him and ask and I'd dig and I'd try to find out what's wrong with you and did you, what's your relationship with your mom like? And, and Chris, the, ans- the only answer I could come up with, and it still is true, is I haven't met her yet. Mm. I, you know, I think in recognizing and hearing this story, I do hear some elements of both attachment styles, but the thing is the anxious person tends to look for reasons to be anxious because they're so preoccupied and on the lookout, just like you mentioned, Treva, about, you know, well, why are you single? There must be something that I need to know in order to protect myself. And that that is sort of the root cause there is that you feel like you need to protect yourself and like, you know, something from the past, from your upbringing or from your dating experiences is going to repeat itself. And so we tend to look for those those things in our partners because we, you know, we are looking to recreate that dynamic on some level. Okay, so how do you communicate to your partner what you need without looking needy? Well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with being needy. I I think on a cultural level, we need to diminish the negative connotation that comes along with the word. Everyone's needy in one way or another because we all have needs. So it's not about becoming less needy. It's becoming more communicative about your respective needs. So for instance, for me, and I talk about this in the blog, I think it's super important early on to communicate to a partner in the right way, at the right time, however it feels natural in that situation, that, you know what, in relationships, I do tend to need more reassurance. So, you know, don't don't hesitate to tell me when you're thinking about me or when you wanna see me next, that's really important to me. So I make sure I communicate that to my partners early on and reinforce positively that behavior when it it does happen. You know, like, thank you so much, that made my day. Or you saying that just put a big smile on my face. You know, 
I think a lot of times for folks with an anxious attachment style and avoidant too, we tend to reinforce the negative. We look for reasons that the other person might be infringing on our space or reasons why the other person might be uh, backing away or not sure about us. But the reality is, you know, I think it's also important, and I remind my coaching clients of this all the time, reinforce the positive behavior too. Don't just nag and, you know, criticize your, your dating partners when they aren't meeting your needs. Make sure that you're also telling them, you know what, that meant a lot to me. And you might not have known that, but I just want you to know because it, it made my day. And that goes so far yeah. with people. R rewards are very important. Little minor rewards like that, minor victories, you have to acknowledge and, and let the other person know that because that's only going to breed more of that in the relationship. Uh, I had a, a, a question about, you know, we have a lot of friends that are dating. And, you know, it's, it's so fascinating because here we are almost 30 minutes into our show and we, we haven't really mentioned the pandemic. So on top of everything else that's going on, that adds such anx anxiety to every everything we're involved in. And um, we, we haven't touched on it, but it's just kind of an underlying thing that we all are living with. That being said, we have a, a friend that's gone out on a few dates with a uh, someone and and um she was a little unsure about how he felt about her and so she texted him recently about you know hey where's this going after like four dates and does that and we, and we had a little conversation between trev and i about how uh you know her feelings about it my feelings about it and i i thought it was okay because i think that it that to me that meant that she was at a point where she she wanted to find out where, where's just where's it where are we what are we doing here? There hasn't been any intimacy. There hasn't been any kissing. Uh, some of it maybe COVID related. Who knows? But uh, everybody does have their own pace in a beginning of a relationship. So uh, curious about your take on that. If somebody chooses to put it out there that hey, where are we going? And is that something where you lose? Um, uh, what is it? hand in the relationship if you if you put it out there that power power is are you giving that up or are you showing that you have it can i give you my two cents yes of course okay so we we had a little difference of opinion on this um mm -hmm. whether she should have texted or not and to me it felt like she needed reassurances and that the pace wasn't moving fast enough, or there was too much, and I think it is pandemic related, because we're not able to date, kind of operate, the operating systems are just so different now. You can't, I don't know even how to, like, how would you kiss someone without going, hmm, should I kiss this person? Whereas normally you would just kiss that person. So, right. so I get it. So maybe, and, and we don't know this other person, this fellow, he may really take his time, and he may like to take things slow, which might not mesh with her need to know, which I get because I have a need to know. And it really pushes one's control buttons. It all comes back, circles back to control. So we had opposite Did, uh, feelings on it, on the, the text. I'm all for getting information. Get what you need to know. But I just felt like, aren't these things going to unfold? Won't you get your, your, you'll know, you'll get your answer soon enough. 
that's kind of how I felt. So there was a little bit of like, well, does she, do you assert yourself and you ask questions or you just kind of hang back and, and wait and possibly be disappointed? And, and I, uh, and my feeling on, was that if or, she or waits. De- or, de- or delighted. Okay. If she waits and nothing happens over the next two, three weeks, that's a waste of time really, I think, for her and for the guy because uh, she should know where it's heading. And it's, I think she has a right to know and it, it, but it also was indi- indicative of the fact that they're not really communicating in person when they are together, and there's something missing there that if it has to resort to a text post-date to find this out, uh, that's also telling. So I just found that to be empowering for her to kind of take the power and say, you know, can I ask you, where, where are we going here? And he was very nice and kind of gallant and not really giving her anything, but as a guy, I like knowing that a woman is interested. Sometimes, you know, guys are thick and it's kind of slow sometimes and we don't get it. We don't see the signals. We don't see those signs. So it's nice when a sign comes through from somebody that you're, you've are you been seeing for a couple of dates and kind of reinforces that, oh, she likes me and is she, it, but she is wants it, something. Is it a, an empowered move or is it a reflection of one's anxious attachment style? I don't style? find it to be a weak move. Chris? So there's Sorry. a there's a lot to unpack here. Discuss. <laughs> Please discuss. I, you know, I think talking about power is so fascinating. I've actually been reading uh, The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov right now, which is all about authentic power. And this idea that our world is sort of structured around external power, but in reality, the 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 seat of yourself and your soul, that's where your authentic power comes from. When you're being true to who you are, what your needs are, regardless of you know the relationship or the context, that's authentic power. And I think, you know, you can't you're not giving anyone your power when you're coming from a space of understanding your need and communicating in a way in a way that regardless of outcome, you're getting information that is useful to you. So I don't think there's anything wrong inherently with asking for clarity, um, regardless of whether it's date four or date 40. But the thing is, it's all about how you do it. You don't wanna come from a space of lack or insecurity, right? Because when when we tend to communicate either verbally or non-verbally to a partner that we need them especially early on, that can be very triggering for other people and can be somewhat of a red flag. Whereas if you come from a space of, hey, I'm just curious, and this is always better done in person, mind you, than over text messages, just putting that out there. But in absence of being able to do that because of pandemic-related distancing and things like that, you know, asking for clarity over the phone, over FaceTime, or even over text messaging is okay. I think it's just a matter of how you communicate it, right? And saying like, hey, I really enjoyed our first few dates. I'm just curious because I've noticed, you know, a little flirtatiousness might be missing there. And I'm kind of craving that a little bit and see what they say. That's a lot more welcoming and curious than it is accusatory or where is this going? You know, you don't want to shake the idea or the answer out of them or demand that, you know, they commit to you after four dates. But it's also okay to recognize that these are extraordinary times. And I hope at least most people aren't out there 
playing the field and dating a ton of people at the same time and making out with all of them. No judgments if they are, but you're incredibly increasing your potential risk for your health. But that being said, you know, if, if you do get the clarity that you need, then maybe the other person isn't right for you if they don't react in the right Correct. way. And you, it's better to find that out now than weeks from now. So absolutely. Yes. You don't have to play it cool. I think there's sort of this idea in pop culture that, you know, you should subvert your needs and not communicate with your partner because you don't want to push them away. But I think that the right person will always want to hear you out, won't judge you and will honor your needs. Even if you say, Ooh, that was, that was really triggering for me. You might not know that, but that reminded me of this. And you know, you, we have to train other people how to interact with us. They don't know just inherently. There should be that natural spark, yes. But also, you know, you have to sort of let people know how you want to be loved and what you're willing to accept in a relationship. That, I'm writing that down. That's so good. you got to let people know how you want to be loved. Why is that Absolutely. such a horrible thing? Uh, no, you have to let them know if you are not being loved the way you want to be loved. It, it's That is something that is also a compatibility thing that should be hopefully natural for two people that are in love to love each other in a way that is satisfying to both. Now, if, you're, if those love needs of yours are not being met, it's very important that you verbalize that to your partner and say, you know what, I'm missing, I love this, but I'm missing this. Sure. I feel like this could be better. Yes. So that is... We do that. We do do that, yes. I mean, we, we uh, again, our story is very interesting because we actually met and then got engaged six months after we met and didn't have a long courtship. We didn't live together before not, we got married. Not a night. We got married and then lived together, and then we moved in together. So... Love that. <laughs> a lot so, of learning opportunities. Oh, there. my God. Learning, learning. Unbelievable. Uh, oh, Jesus. I mean... But that's I, what dating uh, is all about, though. Eye-opening. You know? so, so, Absolutely. But, but um, I don't know. By this time, you know... I think we, shut up, we, uh, or I, uh, had become, uh, attained a level of, of security um, and, I guess, self-worth that I, you know what, here's who I am, uh, here's what I need, here's who, what you need to know, uh, if we're going to be married and we're going to do this, this is, and I, and as you said, I did it not in one giant, you know, load but I <laughs> let him in a little bit you know here's a little clue here's a little piece of information right and, and also okay as uh, look I'm still learning about myself too in relationships I've never been married so this is all a learning experience and so there's so many epiphanies and there's so many realizations and Wow, what a revelation! And let me in, let me, you know, let you in on it. So I do, and and luckily I married a guy who uh, is super open and and loving and non-judgmental. No, certainly, and um, forgiving and understanding and patient. And I, I married a very wonderful woman who's so observant. 
Who has great taste. Who's got great taste. No, I I couldn't be happier with you either. Thank you. I I love you so much. You know, it's... Oh, uh, see, this is the other side, the healing side. Oh, my God. Okay, so in in a year, in a year that's been one of the worst on record for me because I lost both my parents in the last six months. So I've been so emotional. And uh, there's been so much healing going on and robbie's been there uh front row center watching everything and and you know i had to be authentic with myself it's this is all new everything's new 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 i have a 99 year old father that i can't visit and uh, i feel terrible about that and uh so I, i talk to him every night but it's still not the same all like every um Every attachment style in me has come out this year. Like every, you know, every one of them, all three. I've been all three at, at any given time. It's all kind of coming out. And, and that's okay. And luckily, I have a partner that has been completely cool with it all. Absolutely. I'm here for you. Yeah, uh, I'm here for me out. But, um, I think relationships can be very healing in that way when you have a safe space with your partner where... You can, you know, talk about loss and grief and working through that together. It's it's so important, you know, and that's why the the research suggests that folks on the insecure end of the spectrum really do try to pair up with someone secure who can provide that safe foundation and safe space for them to open up in that way, you know. This year has been a year of incredible loss. And I don't think as a society, we've really fully felt it yet. Uh, The magnitude of what this year has meant to our society and to us as individuals, folks who have lost their parents or a loved one or coworkers or friends, you know, because we've all been isolated and distanced from one another and just sort of heads down trying to get from one day to the next, I don't think we'll fully realize the resilience that we've displayed this year until we look back on it in retrospect. That's sort of how I was able to arrive at healing on my end too, is I, you know, looked back at my experiences with my mom in particular, uh, who passed away unfortunately when I was 18. And this year is the 15th anniversary of that. And I, you know, looking back on it now, I just, I recognize how much of an impact she had on me growing up because she moved away. You can see the craving of closeness there, right? And how I acted that out in relationships throughout my 20s, where I ended up in long distance relationships with partner after partner after partner that was sort of replaying that dynamic. And then really over the last three to five years is when I started really getting particular about who I let into my life and the kinds of people that I am dating because having been through a significant amount of trauma when I was young, it just it's important for me and for folks with an anxious attachment style to have that safety and security so that they can express themselves fully 
and not feel shame right. about it. And, you know, there's really nothing more healing for someone who's been through something traumatic, whether it's sexual abuse or losing a parent or God forbid, having a physical injury or what have you. And that's part of what my book is really about. It's central to my book. It's and it's good to see me again. I unpack how my trauma from growing up, my relationships with my sister, with my mom played out in my romantic life and my personal life in particular. Mm -hmm. At work, I was thriving. I had a successful career in magazines throughout my 20s. And then personally, I was heartbroken, constantly struggling. I really doubted myself a lot. I was drinking a lot, having a lot of meaningless sex. And, you know, I just recognized that these patterns were not serving me and they were unsustainable. And so I was able to, through therapy and self-reflection and self-care, really draw the lines back to things that had happened to me in the past that I was pushing down and not dealing with and not feeling and not allowing myself to process. And instead of making those unconscious choices to not deal with the pain, I decided to push into it and process it and finally cope with it. And that's sort of what's documented in my book. And, you know, I think whether the, the book talks about change, the idea that something shifts either big or small in your life, it could be as, as big as losing a parent, that is a big major loss or a miscarriage or losing a son or a daughter, losing a job, um, getting cheated on sexual abuse. I suffered almost all of those things. And so I, talk in the book about how I processed that. And I recognized those are things that I went through. They're not who I am. Mm -hmm. And that um, there's this beautiful quote from Carl Jung that's, I am not what has happened to me. I'm what I choose to become. And the idea that you can choose more secure connections, more secure yeah. thoughts. You can choose to take care of yourself. You can choose to not binge drink. You can choose to not have meaningless sex with people if that doesn't serve you. No, no shame, very sex positive here. But if that doesn't serve you, then don't do it. It was right. very triggering for me and made me feel emptier inside after each hookup. Right. And I hated myself for it. And I, <clears throat> you know, forgiveness was huge to my journey. And I think, you know, this year we've all gone through an unprecedented amount of change. And we don't even really fully grasp what it means for ourselves yet. But the book, I think, can really help a lot of people. I know it helped me. It was cathartic to write it. It took me three years. It's my first book. And, you know, it's also very spiritual. I think that that's also an important aspect is recognizing that you don't have to do everything on your own and that you can have faith, whatever that looks like for you, in something bigger than yourself yeah. that you are being led to something or someone better that will help you heal and be that rock that you've always wanted it's there for you if you want it yeah i i just got to believe that you don't need to take <laughs> Xanax to get through dating anxiety it there it you shouldn't should. make you that nervous it shouldn't it shouldn't trigger you like that to the extent that you're just a sweaty mess, right? Which 
I, you know. Yes. I mean, it, because it's, it, it, there's just ways, there's just ways to breathe through it and all the things that you mentioned to do. And at some point, if it's just freaking you out too much or just, just stressing you out, you do have to say it's not them it's me you know at some point you have to say okay wait a minute time out this is just there's something wrong here like this shouldn't this should be a pleasant experience this should be a, a beautiful journey um and it shouldn't it shouldn't right yes trigger these horrible fears i shouldn't have to take a it's okay if you do though it's okay if you are triggered it's just important to choose ways to self soothe that are healthy and that serve you you know, it's okay if you are prescribed medication and you take that medication, that's okay too. But, you know, it's just that our coping mechanisms tend to be drinking a lot or watching a lot of television, checking out, not checking in to yourself, you know? And so the blog really imparts in the book too, ways that you can process it all. And whether that's meditation or writing, self-reflection, gratitude journaling, I mean, there are dozens of ways. Working out is a great one. Getting those endorphins, you know, that natural energy boost and mood booster, it's invaluable. And to recognize that your sanity, security, peace of mind, and fulfillment doesn't rest in another person. They cannot give that to you. Only you can give it to yourself. There's nothing wrong with relying on someone else who can support you on that journey provide that safe space and security for you, but they're never going to be able to create that inside of you on an ongoing basis. Right. You know, there are moments, of course, during connection or conversations that can bring it out, Right. but you ultimately have to accept it and be willing to cultivate that relationship with yourself. And not only does, true, someone can't give you ultimately what you need to give yourself but there's also there are also people that just aren't good for you that reinforce all of those insecurities which again just says to me there's more work to be done and that if absolutely right and yes. if the, the, the more secure you are the more grounded and centered you are in yourself um probably those people won't be so attractive anymore either so there's that oh my goodness yes i i believe you've had um Dr. Ken Page on the podcast, right? In the yes. past, he talks about, I love his work. I've read Deeper Dating. I listen to his podcast regularly as well. Uh, he talks about connections of deprivation versus connections of inspiration. And, you know, when you do the self work and really sit down, recognize your core gifts that he talks about or authentic power as Gary Zukov talks about, there's the same thing and recognize that you have value that is worthy of appreciation from a partner that, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of. And that they, when they recognize that it's deeply validating and affirming in a way that you're not gonna get if you continue to choose the wrong partner again and again and again and again and again. Uh, Chris, are you in a healthy relationship now? I am currently single. Okay. Good to know. I was dating someone for most of this year. Um, we met prior to the pandemic and uh, we're separated, unfortunately, for most of the year because of 
you know, fleeing to different places and quarantining in different cities, even though we both live in New York. Um, and I recognized that he is an amazing person, but not the right one for me. And so I made the difficult decision to let it go. There was nothing wrong with the relationship. It was one of the more secure connections I've ever had, but I also recognized that it wasn't my long-term match, my forever match. And so I had to build up that own courage for myself to let it go, which is hard to do. I think, especially if you're listening to this and you're in a relationship that's not serving you and you're questioning whether or not to remain in it, you should know that on the other side, you can give yourself the safety and security that you're craving. And you can find a partner who's willing to do that. If your partner, if you communicate to your partner that this is important to you, that you have these needs, and maybe for the first time you're recognizing that you have an anxious attachment style and what that even means. And they don't step up to the plate to really <clears throat> help provide that safety and security and support for you, then it's okay to take back your power and recognize there is someone out there who will. Right on. So we're at the point of our show where we are going to wrap it up and uh, want to give you a moment to promote your book and anything where do else we you've find got. you where where do we find, find you, you online where can people get you thank you for that uh you can find me on instagram twitter facebook i would say instagram is where people tend to gravitate to my content the most i post a lot of inspirational quotes there as well as <clears throat> uplifting reminders for folks from a self-care self-awareness standpoint uh, on my site at cracklift.com, cracklift.com, uh, where you can find my blogs about easing dating anxiety, other tips and tricks for folks with an anxious attachment style, as well as other self-care and self-love content. And then my book, It's Good to See Me Again, you can find on Amazon right now. Excellent. Okay. Well, this has been great. Trev and I are going. You're great. We're looking forward to tonight where we, we are going to be drinking a lot and having meaningless sex. So uh, <laughs> please don't take it the wrong way. Uh, but Love that. Thank love you that so journey much. for you both. Thank you, Thank Chris. You. This has been great. And uh, I hope you come back soon. I enjoy talking Thanks to for you. having me. And Trev, <clears throat> I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name no. earlier. Oh, that's okay. Everyone does it. It's okay. It's fine. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. I'm grateful. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.